Thank you for listening to KUCI. This week is Fun Drive Week. KUCI brings you wonderful music and public affairs shows 24-7. We give you the gift of listening, and now we ask you to give your pledge gift. It's tax deductible. When you call in your gift, you will also be eligible to receive a pledge gift from KUCI. Most of all, you will help to continue the great shows. So thank you for calling 824-5824-UCI-KUCI. Make your tax-deductible donation right now by calling 824-5824. Thank you. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. When you got a love and it's good like it should be Makes you never want to give it up Cause you know that some people die for love And I believe it's true cause I do the same for you Good morning, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California. Streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Fighting for Love. This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's the author of several books, including Negotiations, Breakthroughs, and Fighting for Love. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel, and she mediates business, employment, divorce, privacy, and other civil cases in her private practice in Laguna Niguel, California. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. She teaches leadership and conflict management courses at Brandman University and here at UCI, and she trains corporate leaders' powerful communication and conflict transformation skills. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit conflicthealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning? Well, today our show is about love, and believe it or not, it is also about cryogenics. And let me tell you that we are welcoming back a guest we've had on our show several times with his books. And I want to, if you haven't heard, I want to introduce you to Robert Desjardins. He has practiced law in Southern California for 40 years, and he's been recognized as one of the best lawyers in America and California in a number of independent publications, including Best Lawyers in America. And he received the Orange County Trial Lawyers designation as the trial lawyer of the year in 2000. He's been, um, he's had extensive courtroom experience and he served as an editorial consultant for Matthew Bender Books. He also has been a private judge and a judge pro tem. And he has contributed writing to practice under the California Family Code, uh, California Family Law Monthly, and numerous other legal uh uh, writings and and articles over the past 40 years. And his first love, however, is fiction. And he's a wonderful writer. And we've had him on for with regard to several of his books. His first novel was Mistral, which was self-published in 2007. And then we had him on to talk about A Darker uh, Shade of Orange, about Orange County, as a matter of fact. And this appealed to a broad audience and was very well received and reviewed. 
then he published Land of the Saints, which was um, interesting about the Mormons, but despite its decidedly anti-Mormon theme, Saints received a thumbs-up review from the Mormon letters. Now, his newest book, which we're going to talk about today, really relates to fighting for love. It's got a lot of romance. It has science fiction. It has spirituality, which... His books seem to have uh, spirituality or religion in it, and we're going to talk about that. But his newest book, with I love this cover, and you could see it on our website, is called Passing Through. And that ventures into cryogenics and life after death. And it asks the question, really, where does our soul dwell during long cryogenic sleep? And basically, where does it dwell when we are no longer in these bodies? So um, I, this is a fun thing to, to talk about, but I also want to say that Robert is going to be doing a book signing this coming Wednesday um, at the Black Marlin Restaurant in Tustin. So if you want to meet him, see this beautiful book, get one and have it signed, you can go and talk to Bob. He is just lots of fun, as you'll hear in just a minute. And um, I think you'll get a kick out of seeing him in person. So, Bob, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I'm so glad to be here, and what a great what a great introduction! Thank you, Marie. <laughs> well, you know, you just walk on water, Bob. That's uh, that's the truth, right? <laughs> so, so Bob, let's talk about this. You know, you in in your novels, you seem to have a religion coming through it. Want to talk a little bit about how that came into being? Well, I, I uh, uh, went through a basic uh, parochial, uh, Catholic parochial uh, education, and uh, was an altar boy. I know, knowing me, you probably find it hard to believe. <laughs> uh, and, and did have a, a fascination with uh, things religious, and a fascination with the Jesuits, as a matter of fact. And in fact, in my uh, three of my four books, I have a Jesuit character in it. And uh, I, I, I was fascinated by there's a Jesuit named uh, who's been dead now for thirty years, named Pierre. Teilhard de Chardin, spelled differently, mm. and he was—he actually was the model for Indiana Jones and uh, the Indiana Jones movies, and he was also the model for The Exorcist and the movie The Exorcist. Kind of a strange combination. And if you look—if you look his picture up on the website, he looks like uh, Maximum Sydow in the, the The Exorcist. But he was a <laughs> fascinating man to me. He was an archaeologist. He was a philosopher. Uh, as I said, he was an exorcist, and I was also always fascinated with Jesuits. So I, I built. Uh, one into my first book, The Mistral, uh, and, and I also had another Jesuit character in, in uh, Land of the Saints, which was kind of a, a Mormon, it was a search for the Mormon golden plates. And in passing through, I utilized uh, this, this character once again as kind of an advisor in this process of uh, uh, life after death and exploring those, those issues. So, so I, I, do have a, I do have somewhat of a fascination, I'm, I'm not necessarily a religious person, but I have a, re- a fascination with uh, all things religi- religious. You know, Bob, sense. you may have been a, Jesu- a Jesuit priest in your previous life. That's Could probably be. where this came from, that it keeps coming up. <laughs> so in this book, this is a story about a man who seeks to cheat death, okay? And he seeks to do this through cryogenics. So why don't you tell us a little bit, kind of give us an appetizer about the book. Well, uh, the, the, the the question, no, I'm not the first one to write about the first novelist to address this issue. Uh, some of my favorite authors uh, had 
dipped their toes into the cryogenic waters before, and that's those are Edgar Rice Burroughs, believe it or not, Jack right. London, Jack London, Philip K. Dick. Uh, Philip K. Dick was one of the most prolific scientific writers of our time, uh, probably more so than Isaac Asimov, but he's not as well known. He was a he was a client of mine thirty years ago, and uh, and, uh, and uh, Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe, uh, Poe and Arthur C. Clarke also talked about uh, cryogenics. So I had kind of an interest in that. But the question that always uh, that I worried, I wondered about, would be that if if and cryogenics is now becoming more scientifically acceptable. Right. Uh, it's, it's, I believe it's not a question that if it'll ever come into the uh, practice, but when will it, when will it happen? Right. But, uh, but but in that in that sense, the question that um, I, uh, I tr- uh, struggled with was if you're able to successfully free somebody, preserve them for mm-hmm. an indefinite period of time, where would the soul be during this period of time? If you believe in a soul, and right. I do believe I do believe in the soul, uh, and I believe in the, I believe in the concept. You know, all the world's great religions have some sort of concept of life after death. Right. It varies from religion to religion, of course, but they all, they all seem to have a, kind of a redemptive nature to it. If, what happens to you after death is usually a product of how you live your life. So I kind of built, built that into my theme story about where the soul would go after, in a, during a period of a cryogenic preservation. And uh, I, uh, I know you read the book, but the one of the one of the first persons to experience this procedure in passing through is is a is a uh, serial killer uh, who is uh, somewhat insane, but she's offered the opportunity to prolong her life, and she's on death row at the time. Uh, and uh, through a series of uh, uh, happenstance, she's she's able to be frozen and, and goes into the afterlife. And her experience there is something uh, that is, is a product of the way she lived her life. And I won't, uh, I won't uh, ruin the story for you, but she experiences a very bizarre experience, and which I believe uh, works into the story and also works into uh, my, my beliefs on life after death in, in that what happens, once again, is the product of your own making. And if and uh, uh, and she experiences that, and then I, then I have the, the hero protagonist also goes through this. Not the wealthy man who seeks to avoid death, but someone who goes there for a different purpose. Mm-hmm. And his experience is entirely different, and it's more uh, benign and more beneficial and and uh, and more loving as a result of uh, his background. Uh, I don't know if I'm. Uh, I don't know if I'm. Thoroughly yeah, responding no, to your no, question. Yeah, well, that's good. You know, I mean, there's this whole thing about karma, you know, we, what we reap, what we sow, and, and whether it's in this lifetime or another. But, you know, when you were talking about cryogenics and you're talking about what's, you know, life after life or death after life and and so on, um, you know, I've read several books like Dr. Raymond Moody, who did a whole series of life after life and life after death and actually interviewed many of his own patients. He's an MD, a medical doctor who, who has all sorts of evidence of, of, you know, that we are, our soul reincarnates. And then there's Dr. Brian Weiss, the same thing. He was another medical doctor who, um, you know, has written several books, many lives, many masters, and, and several other books about the research that they did um, practicing medicine. So, you know, you're right. I mean, this is a, a fascinating issue, and um, and I love it. So let's talk about some of the ethical issues since we're talking about doctors. You know, what are some of the ethical issues that the 
the medical world does face when they are, you know, dealing with the issue of uh, cryogenically preserving the dead or near dead for for revival later? The the, the two questions that uh, people in this field must answer is, number one, can we do this? Is is it possible to accomplish this successfully? And the second question is, should we do this? Mm. And the should we do this raises a serious ethical question. Uh, is, is it ethical to tinker with the, with the, with the basic building blocks of life? Uh, and if, you approach, if a doctor or a medical person approaches it with the concept that he's doing something to preserve life, if someone is going to be cryogenically preserved, frozen, and it's a, uh, it's a very uh, intricate process, as, as you gather from reading the book, but mm-hmm. if, if somebody's going to go through this process, are you, uh, and, and they're able to come back, well, right. then, they weren't, then they weren't really dead, were they? And, and the doctor or the medical team is preserving life, extending life, and extending the, um, uh, the quality of life. Uh, if, if they can't come back, if it's, if it's not possible, then, then they're violating their, uh, their oath and they're doing harm as opposed to doing well, doing good. So that, that's, that's the problem that they have to deal with. And I believe that, if, in fact, it is possible. It is possible to pass through and, and to go into this uh, uh, frozen state and then come back, that, that, that the ethical problem is resolved because the medical people are actually preserving life as opposed to destroying life. But that's, that's an issue that anybody dealing with this has to deal with. And there's a, there's a, there's a, a substantial body of uh, information and, and writings on this, which uh, I've, I discovered. I did a lot of research online on this issue. And uh, uh, there are certainly different, uh, <laughs> different approaches by, by, by doctors and philosophers and religious personnel as to whether this is something we should do. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think eventually the question of whether we can do it will be answered in the affirmative. Right. So if someone wants to preserve himself or herself because they think that there, you know, will in a few years be some kind of a, a cure for whatever they have, then they could come back and, and be cured. But what about, it? you know, well, the issue would be how long are you going to be preserved? And when you come back, um, is your loved one, are your loved ones going to be, you know, in their 80s and you're coming back in a, in a younger body? I mean, what, what about that? What about those issues? <laughs> those, uh, I, I don't know if you saw the recent film, uh, uh, Intergalactic, with uh, Matthew McConaughey. McConaughey. No, I didn't uh, see I'm not that. Sure. He, 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 and this was written well after my, uh, my book was uh, drafted, but in his instance, he comes back 127 years later. Right. And, and, his, and his daughter is now uh, in a very, very, very old, and she's been preserved for a period of time. But those, uh, and that's also, you're also dealing with the same concept of Einstein's theory of relativity. If somebody were to go into space travel, and, and travel at the speed of light, and they, and they would come back at a very young age, and meanwhile, everybody they know is dead. Everybody that, that they fathered is dead. So uh, that, that's kind of a, it's a, it's venturing into a strange new world and strange new ways. So uh, uh, I don't ha- I don't have the answer to your question other than that. That's that's one that's one more hurdle, one more obstacle, one more facet of right. this concept of being preserved for a long period of time. Right. The, the, the very first person uh, preserved. In the United States, as a doctor, his name escapes me at the moment, but it was in 1968. So if he were to to come back now, that would be some 50 or uh, almost 50 years later. Uh, I'm sure he would see a lot of changes. Uh, Although I I think that the people who are going to be able to be successfully revived 
are going to be people who are undergoing the process now as opposed to the people that underwent it 30, 40 years ago because science has advanced so much uh, you know, in, in this period of uh, uh, nanobots and uh, cryogenic uh, protectorates. I, I think that the, the, the whole process will be uh, uh, give a much bigger chance of being able to be successfully revived than people who were frozen uh, years and years ago. And I wonder what kind of a contract that they would have, you know, that uh, that would be interesting legally, too. You know, I want to be revived in such and such a year, or I want to be revived when this particular condition happens, or what if the company that froze them is no longer in business? I could see all sorts of (laughs) legal issues, right? There, there's a an institute. Uh, the, I think it's called the Cryogenic Institute. That, that hold on, please. <coughs> that that actually has a, a contract that addresses all of that. And people who are frozen pay a upfront fee, uh, which uh, <laughs> which depends on how 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 frozen you really are. And I'll explain that <laughs> in a second. But they, they pay an upfront fee, which is to guarantee that the the uh, that they will be preserved and protected and. Uh, uh, not abandoned during this process, and every every member of the institute uh, uh, pays his fee with the understanding that they will be frozen when they die. And there's a whole protocol as to uh, how they uh, uh, will will be taken from whatever whatever hospital, whatever uh, circumstance they're in, to be frozen as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. As, you, as you know, in, in passing through. My subjects are actually frozen while they're still technically yeah, alive, which right. uh, gives them a much better chance. But when I said it depends on how they're frozen, they're, you know, they, they can freeze your entire body, right. uh, or they can freeze just your head, <laughs> with the idea that, 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 that that's, that's the vital part that needs to be brought back. And think Ted Williams when I say that. You know, Ted Williams' head <laughs> is frozen somewhere, and, and, and uh, there's been fights over who owns the rights to that. It's just his head was preserved and then uh then, then there's also the rumor the urban rumor that walt disney was frozen his entire body but that's that's uh. not true it did not happen uh. but there are there are over several hundred people in the united states alone that are frozen either just their heads <laughs> sounds kind of gruesome doesn't <laughs> or, or their entire body uh, and, and they all have contracts of one type or another uh, specifying how they're going to be cared for and it's, it is relatively expensive how they're going to be cared for and, and protected and when right. they will be brought back and the concept is if, if, you, uh, if you're suffering from a terminal form of cancer, then you're not going to be uh, thought out, if you will, until they find a cure for that right. or, or whatever the disease will be. And, and in passing through, uh, my main character, the, the person who instit- instigates the whole concept, has uh, the human equivalent of mad cow disease, which is, uh, uh, which is a disease which destroys the brain, uh, which right. is why he's frozen while he's still alive before the damage gets to mm-hmm. a point where he can never be recovered. Right. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a complex issue, and uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know if I, I want to step into those waters myself. Maybe you do. <laughs> Marie, you, Marie, you want to be frozen? Um, I don't think so. Uh, I don't, I don't think so. And, you know, I, I would want to, I guess, I guess if it was for a certain period of time, I don't know, I don't think I need to do that. Because I kind of believe that my soul when I when I pass, uh, my soul is supposed to do something and, you know, afterwards. So, so do you think there's a soul? And if you do, where do you think the soul goes when we do pass? Well, um, I, I think there is, a, I think there is a soul. I, and, and, uh, I, I think when you when, when you say when you pass, uh, 
Now, the, the, some people believe that there is no life after death, and if there is no life after death, the, the soul is, 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 is gone when you die. That's the end of it. And other people who believe that there is a life after death mm-hmm. believe that the soul goes on, and depending upon what your religious beliefs are, it kind of um, addresses that issue. But I, I, I believe that... I'm not sure what I believe that there's a hereafter, but mm-hmm. I don't believe that I don't believe that life terminates the minute you die. It's sort of like a car battery. If you were, if if if, if you shut off a car, it's not dead. The battery still generates energy, mm-hmm. still gener- and you, your clock still runs. You, 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 uh, things still go on inside that that car, and eventually that battery wears out, and that that process is gone. Now, if you equate that to the human body. If you die, you know, do you die instantly, or does that take over? Does that take a long period of time before all of your uh, force and energy is gone? And if during that period of time you're you're able to your, your brain and your soul are able to function, uh, you you could create your own heaven or create your own hell, and they could last, as I suggested in passing through, it could last. Uh, uh, it, it could be a, a very enjoyable, wonderful experience, mm-hmm. or it could be a horrifying, terrifying. A nightmare, right. um, and and perhaps perhaps when you get through that experience, then if there is a soul, the soul goes on to some different plane, goes someplace else, someplace that we haven't even contemplated or don't even know about at this point. Uh, yeah, uh, but it, it's fascinating stuff. You know, I I do believe that whatever is the essence of us, you know, it's like you were talking about, it's energy. And energy cannot be destroyed. If you think about Einstein saying that energy can't be destroyed, it's just, you know, changed from, it can change from one thing to another. So, you know, reading all these books on past lives and and seeing and actually taking a workshop with Dr. Brian Weiss and, and experiencing going back through kind of like hypnosis to see my past lives, um, I, I do believe that the, the soul or whatever it is that is the essence and energy of, of what makes us our personality um, is goes, leaves the body and then maybe goes a place, like you said, maybe goes to another place for a while or... And then maybe reincarnates, learns some lessons, comes back, reincarnates until we get it right. And then maybe we don't have to keep coming back. I, I don't know. I kind of feel like that. And um, but I, I do believe that there is karma. <laughs> I believe that we reap what we sow. And if we, you know, even when some of the past lives that um, that even Brian Weiss said, when one of his past lives, he was like a priest in in Egypt, and he had a lot of power, and he abused that power, and then he had to come back in another lifetime, and he had to really reap what he sowed, you know, <laughs> and then he kept coming back till he got it right. So uh, it's it is really fascinating about what happens because. Uh, it's it's hard to believe that the essence of us, when the when the body no you know when wears out and we're not using it anymore, you know we're what happens you know and I, and I I kind of believe like you do and and that it's just it's not really the end and um, but the issue of freezing is like hey uh, is this soul just hanging out in that frozen body or is it traveling is it astral traveling <laughs> where you know where the heck is it is it in, in a bad place or is it in a good place and you know do we really uh learn from our past lives 
or we learn from the things that we've done. Fascinating stuff. It is. Uh, the, the soul in transit is the way I think of it. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's either moving very, very quickly or very slowly, but it is in transit uh, after, you, after you die or after you're frozen to some extent. Uh, and uh, that transition is, uh, like you say, a life force. The energy can't be destroyed, so what happens to it? Yeah, and you and I are getting older, so it's something we should really consider, <laughs> right? Well, you you're, know, I get, you're, you're just you're just a baby, Marie. <laughs> well, you know, I I I have to get a kick out of um, the love interest and the romance that you have in your novels. You've been a divorce lawyer for so many years, and you haven't become really jaded. Maybe it's that that French romantic inside you. Tell us about that. How is it that you? Um, you are such a romantic, and, and tell a little bit about the romance in this book. Well, uh, I, I quote Jacqueline Kennedy, of all people, in the, uh, in the book, uh, from a woman's perspective, where she says that uh, your first marriage or your first relationship should be for love, your second relationship should be for security, and your third relationship should be for uh, companionship. Hmm. And I think all, and I've seen all three of those in my uh, divorce practice, uh, marital practice over over forty years, and it's, it's always somewhat fascinating to me how people who, uh, when they originally got married, must have loved the other person tremendously to to, to go into a marriage, can turn uh, and they can uh, their lives can extend in so many different directions. They could they could still love the person and the, who they're divorcing. They could hate the person with a passion. Mm-hmm. They could be indifferent towards us, and it's, it's it's fascinating. But 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 love is love is the factor that drives. Uh, drives it all to some extent, uh, and, and uh, I am somewhat of. I wouldn't say I'm a hopeless romantic. I'm a hopeful romantic, and uh, <laughs> uh, and, and, uh, and in passing through, there are three different uh, love stories, and they're they're all they're all somewhat somewhat different. I think they all kind of uh, uh, express the concept of love. There's, there's there's a love of the of the woman whose husband died 30 years before. There's a love of the doctor who loves her her patient. And there's the love of the young woman whose husband, whose, whose love interest is going to go, is going to pass through, uh, um, and he has passed through, and he comes back, and he passes through again, and 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 she, uh, uh, as the penultimate penultimate uh, issue is whether she's going to follow him into this uh, strange new world, and uh, and love is the driving force for all three of those three of those women, and uh, not that I can speak with a woman's point of view, but I think that uh, I can understand it. Yeah. Well, you've dealt with many women going through a divorce as yeah. well, besides, you know, being married. So I think you've experienced that. And, you know, I when the name of this show is Fighting for Love. And really, sometimes we have to fight against anything that keeps us from getting love, you know. And um, I, I know for me, for doing divorce mediation, and I've got both clients in there, really, it's all about for me, at least when I see both of them in there, is their feeling that they didn't get the love that they wanted. They didn't get the what the love that they really desired and needed, and that's why the relationship is ending. I mean, do you see it that way as well? Uh, I, I think people either expect too much out of their partner and too little out of themselves yes. in a romantic relationship. Uh, if, if uh, I think one of the, I've been married for over forty years, and I think one of the keys to uh, that is, is is to be tolerant of the uh, uh, the faults of your partner, and to be and to be intolerant of the faults in yourself. To try and to try and make yourself 
be the person that you you want they want you to be and try and uh, understand that they have um, uh, warts just just like you do and and uh, I think the if if you set your expectations right, uh, love can be a great thing. Well, that's really beautiful. I know I I ask people in long term marriages, you know, um, wh- what is your secret? And and what they say is, I my partner allows me to be who I am, and I allow my partner to be who he or she is, and um, and that's real love, right? That's <laughs> real love yep. and respect. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. We are just about out of time. Uh, Rob, uh, Bob, why don't you just give the name of your book again and your website, and it's time to go. Uh, the, uh, the book is Passing Through, and you can find all about it on my website, thejardinauthor.com. That's D-E-S-J-A-R-D-I-N-S, author, A-U-T-H-O-R.com. And it talks about uh, this book and my prior books and the reviews and uh, a little bit about me. They can also find you at conflicthealing.com. Thanks so much, Bob. We'll have you back again. Take care, honey. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. Thank you for listening to KUCI. This week is Fun Drive Week. KUCI brings you wonderful music and public affairs shows 24-7. We give you the gift of listening, and now we ask you to give your pledge gift. It's tax deductible. When you call in your gift, you will also be eligible to receive a pledge gift from KUCI. Most of all, you will help to continue the great shows. So thank you for calling 824-5824-UCI-KUCI. Make your tax deductible donation right now by calling 824-5824. Thank you.